Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Easter is a time of reflection. Easter is a gift and a reminder for us all of what God's done for us. Easter is old ways being put to death and new life being brought forth. Easter is a reminder of all that he has given for me. For me, it's a humbling time. Being in communion with Jesus. Easter is my sins paid for in full. To reconcile me in my fallen sinful state back to him. Easter is the time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as the foundation for our faith. Without Christ rising from the grave, we would all still be stuck in our graves of sin. It is a reminder to us that there is a reset. That Jesus died on the cross. And the miracle of his resurrection. Easter is a time for celebration. The celebration of Jesus returning back from the dead. Celebrate a God that is living. Celebrating that God cannot be defeated. Proof that light will always come after the darkness. Nothing good can truly die forever. There's more to this life. God's rescue plan. Easter is the reason that I can walk in life and in freedom. Easter is how God showed us that he truly, truly loves us. Easter is the greatest and most triumphant victory in any love story. Jesus has given me hope and truth, but also lots of confusion. And I have many, many questions for him. Jesus has been the one who has helped me develop into... Phil, be quiet. Jesus has been the one who has helped me develop into the man I am today, and I'm so thankful. He has restored me, renewed me, freed me, and healed me. He has given me peace and joy, even in my darkest circumstances. Jesus has redeemed humanity. Jesus has given me a second chance. Jesus pulled me out of a pit, one that I didn't even realize I was in until it happened. Jesus has always been faithful to me. Even if it wasn't in my timing, it was always perfect. Jesus has blessed me with his Holy Spirit so that I can discern what is healthy from what is unhealthy. Jesus has shown me strength and peace. Jesus has given my life new direction and purpose. Jesus has completed my life. Jesus has brought peace. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to get through the last few years if it wasn't for him. What Jesus has taught me was to forgive myself and to love myself. How to be less selfish. Jesus has impacted me by his compassion for people. Jesus has shown me what unconditional love is. Jesus has given us this challenge for all of mankind to learn how to love the way he loves us. Not only is his love eternal, but it's immeasurable. It overcomes hurt, it overcomes opinions, it overcomes the noise and the confusion of the world all around us. And Easter for me is just a remembrance of that truth, the truth that the love of Jesus does overcome and has overcome and continues to overcome. I love that. Happy Easter. Happy Easter online. It's so great to see your faces, and it is so great to be able to celebrate together. And uh, this Easter message, uh, we've, we've just come off a series called Broken Kings, and uh, it uh, basically is just how, you know, mankind, we mess up. 
We do. If you go through the scripture and you look at the consistency of scripture, you find that we have a recurring pattern in humanity. We screw up. But God is greater than our screw-ups. And uh, as we, Monica looked last week at the, at the, the final message on broken kings is that, you know, Jesus was the ultimate broken king, but he was not broken because he was broken, but he chose to become broken because we were broken. And today, this, this is really the heart of the Easter story. This is the, this is the heart of, this is what separates uh, Christianity from, from the, really the rest of, of religious beliefs on the planet. It's not us trying to improve ourselves. It's us having someone who paid the price for us. And uh, Jesus, was, Jesus was not broken in the sense that there was anything wrong with him, but he chose to take on that which was wrong with us so that that price could be paid. And I want to read today, this is, this, is the, this is from Isaiah 53, and this is prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived. And, and uh, this, is, this, is prof- this is a prophecy of what the eternal king will look like. In Isaiah 53, it says, Who has witnessed the awesome power and plan of the eternal in action? Out of emptiness he came like a tender shoot from rock-hard ground. He didn't look like anything or anyone of consequence. He had no physical beauty to attract our attention. So he was despised and forsaken by men, this man of suffering, grief's patient friend. And as if he was a person to avoid, we looked the other way. He was despised, forsaken, and we took no notice of him. Yet it was our suffering he carried, our pain, our distress, our sick to the soulness, We just figured that God had rejected him, that God was the reason he hurt so badly, but he was hurt because of us. He suffered so. Our wrongdoing wounded and crushed him. He endured the breaking that made us whole. The injuries he suffered became our healing. We have all wandered off like shepherdless sheep. Oh man, that's just such an apt description for humanity at any point in history. We have all wandered off like shepherdless sheep, scattered by our aimless striving and endless pursuits. The eternal eternal one laid on him, this silent sufferer, the sins of us all. Jesus became the greatest of broken kings for our brokenness. And uh, yeah, I said this Thursday night at Encounter, but we actually did not kill Jesus. We did not kill Jesus. It would be sheer arrogance to think that we would have the ability to kill Jesus. Jesus himself, John chapter 12, he said, I surrender my own life and no one has the power to take my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it back up again. Jesus came and gave his life. He came to fulfill the plan of the ages, the plan that was started from the very beginning, that he would, he would rescue humanity from, our, from where we had fallen short. And, and more than that, he would bring us into a place of, of relationship. 
And uh, Paul said it this way in Philippians. He said, he existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself. This is God. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. And he has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will, will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. Every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. This is powerful. You know, the every, at one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You know, this isn't, this isn't going to be an act of dominance of God over humanity. This will be an act of recognition of humanity, of the greatness of what Jesus has done. You know, it's sometimes hard to see Jesus for who he really is. We live in a, in a world of, you know, we consider greatness those who have the most influence or the loudest voice or have achieved the greatest success. But Jesus came and he, he laid success and greatness and dominance aside so that he could come and be a humble servant among us. This is what he called greatness. And how can he, how can Jesus become king of the universe through, through suffering and sacrifice? How can, how can that lead to that? Why did he need to come? Well, I think... You know, even to, even to refer to our series on broken kings, God had to send a king that, to redeem our need for rulership. He had to send a king to redeem our need for rulership. And we, were, we are made to be ruled. As much as we would hate to admit that, and as, as much as we resist that, I mean, just ask your children if they want to be ruled. You can't tell me what to do. We are made to be ruled. And our need to be ruled had to be redeemed. Our need to be ruled had to be redeemed. We, the, the, the plan of God was actually never for us to have a king. Monica talked about this in our Broken Kings series. The plan of God, he wanted to be the ruler of Israel. He wanted to be their God. But it was their demand for rulership that God gave in to them and, and said, fine, I will let you have a king. You're going to regret this. And so he had to send a king to, re to redeem our need for a king. See, we're meant, we are made to be ruled. If we, don't, if we don't bow to Jesus, we will bow to something. Even if it's bowing to the self-king of individual freedom, the self-king of success or our career. For some of us, we, we bow to, the, to, to friends and to family. Or sometimes it's just to feelings and to reasoning. We bow to something. Sometimes we bow to our fear of rejection. 
We were designed to serve. And if we don't choose what will rule us, then something we don't choose will rule in its place. If we don't choose what will rule us, something we don't choose will rule in its place. See, Jesus came to redeem our need for rulership, to, to bring proper rulership into our lives. He, he came to bring redemption and restoration and relationship. Redemption because sin had exacted a price on humanity that we were not able to pay. If we wanted to put it in a modern day term, it would be this. A virus had infected the software and only the creator was able to overwrite it. Something had entered humanity that humanity did not have the ability to get rid of. We needed, a, we needed to be redeemed. We needed redemption from our own mistakes. But he also, he didn't just come to overwrite what had been done wrong. He actually came to restore he came to restore us into right relationship with God. Restored because we'd made a mess of things that we couldn't fix ourselves. We needed, we needed not just the, the outward mess, but we needed our meaning restored. We needed our purpose restored. We needed to have meaning restored to us that, that went beyond just our immediate satisfaction. was reading the uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is a really, uh, it's, it's a terrible, great book. <clears throat> it's Victor Frankl was a survivor of the Holocaust. And it was, he, he was in a concentration camp where only one in 28 people that, made it, that went there survived. It's, it's a heartbreaking uh, story, but he... In the midst of this, he, he, he noticed a pattern and he said people who could, could hold on to meaning had a, had a much higher chance of surviving than those who gave up. And he, he said this, he said, without meaning we die. Whether you live in Auschwitz or a luxury apartment in the city, without meaning we die. And, and I look at like what is happening in Western culture right now. We, we're losing meaning. Meaning has been reduced down to accumulating. It's been reduced down to what we have. The holidays we take. The toys we possess. How big our home is. But all of those things actually aren't, those aren't meaning. Those are just things. They say now antidepressants are the second most common drug in Western society. Why? Well, because we've lost our meaning. We've lost our meaning. We, we have lost a meaning that is, that is greater than just consumerism. Meaning's been reduced down to the pursuit of individual desires and the, the right to pursue and realize our authentic selves. But this doesn't lead to hope because none of that leads past the grave. Jesus came to restore meaning that we were created for something more than just what we could get on this earth. And that's the, the third thing he came to restore was relationship. The third thing that he came to restore was relationship. And, and we see it in 
we see it in the life of Jesus. He cared about people. And if you want, it, here, here is a great thing for you. Today is binge day. If you are a follower of, what's the name of the? The Chosen. <laughs> the old noodle doesn't work all the time. And uh, the Chosen series. But if you want to see, I don't think there is a, a series or, that has been made that more, accurate, more accurately reflects the heart of God towards people. And uh, what we see is Jesus cared about people. He, re- he came to restore people into relationship with the Father. And uh, I think we see this so well in the, li- in the life of Peter. Peter's worst moment would have been the Thursday night that uh, before Good Friday that, you know, Peter had just pledged his allegiance to Jesus. He, he had pledged like undying allegiance. Jesus, I will die for you. I don't know if he sang it to a song, but he was, he was, he was meaning it. And Jesus just looked at Peter and he said, you know what, Peter, before this night's over, before the, before the, the crow or before the rooster crows three times, you'll have, you'll have denied me three times. And Peter was just vehement. No, I will die for you. I will give my whole life for you. I'll do anything for you. And I, I think here, Peter it actually represents all of us. Is that our self-will has limits. Even when we think we will do whatever it takes, we discover we don't have to, in us, we don't have to do whatever it takes all the time. And Jesus is okay with that. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you know, you're going you're gonna to fail me and, you know, I'm warning you now. Don't screw up tonight. Three strikes, buddy. Three strikes. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, you are going to deny me three times tonight. But don't worry. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And this is powerful. The lowest this is the lowest moment of Peter's life. He had denied the Lord. He had, he had sworn to protect. He, had, he denied the Lord that the same night he swore he would never deny. And it was, you have to understand, he's confused. He's under a lot of pressure. Jesus is the Messiah. They're, they're, they've, they've just had their, their, their Passover meal together. And, and, and Peter is emotionally, he, he loves Jesus. And then Jesus allows himself to be arrested. And Jesus is taken and he's put on trial. And Peter, you know, we can, we can talk about Peter denying, but Peter was actually the only one there. Peter actually did keep following. The other disciples were gone, MIA. They went to Starbucks to just wait to see how things turned out. But Peter was there. He actually was being bold here. He went into the courtyard of the Roman centurions with with soldiers around him by himself. And he's kind of hiding by the fires. You know, trying to keep warm, but also trying to see what's going on. And as he's standing there, it's like, I can't abandon Jesus. I can't. Everybody else is gone, but I pledged I will not leave. And he's standing there by the fire, and a little servant girl comes up to him, and it's, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? You have to understand, in Peter, he's thinking, 
If I say yes, I'm going to be on trial as well. So, so he's saying, he's trying to not blow his cover so he can be there when Jesus needs him. So he, he says, no, I, you must have me mistaken for someone else. It happens again. And it happens a third time. And there's this, there's this little detail in the Gospel of Luke. It says Jesus, or that Peter denied a third time. And it says the rooster crowed. And then it says Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus looked Peter in the eye. And then Peter realized, I denied him. I said I wouldn't. I'm still here. But I denied him. I failed. My strength is not enough. And it says he went and he wept bitterly. This, this terrible event was actually the making of Peter. Peter couldn't become the Peter that Jesus needed Peter to be without this event. Peter needed to realize it's not just my resolve. It's, it's something greater than that. And Jesus wasn't finished with Peter. He warned Peter because he cared about Peter. Peter, you're going to fail me. It's all right. I've prayed for you. Your faith will not fail. And I, I love how after the resurrection, Jesus makes a point. The disciples are out. Peter is just doing what Peter does. And he just, all the disciples were depressed, hanging around, and they said, what are you doing? And Peter, he just, first, I'm going fishing. Just, I've had enough of this. I'm not going to sit here and mope. I'm going fishing. And the others, are just, I guess I'll go with you. <clears throat> and then, they all go fishing, and, and Peter is on the side. Peter, Peter and the disciples, they are, they're fishing in the boat. And then some stranger from the shore says, throw your nets over the other sides. And they throw their nets over the other side, and the nets fill. And Peter, he realizes in that moment, I've heard this before. <laughs> And he realizes, that's Jesus. The other guys are trying to get the, the fish into the boat. Peter just jumps out of the boat. He says, the fish are no longer important. He makes his way to shore. And the Jesus, he's cooking bread. He's cooking fish. He's sitting around a fire. And he says, Peter, come and sit with me. He took the time to meet with Peter personally because Peter mattered. Jesus came to restore relationship. Not just relationship with one man, but he actually came to restore relationship between God the Father and all of humanity to bring us back into a place of relationship with him. Peter had to be emptied of his own strength so that he could be filled with a strength that was something greater than himself. And this is, 
This is the process that God takes us all through from time to time. So here we are. We have a king. How do you respond to a king? How do we respond to Jesus the king? See, we don't understand kings in our culture. We don't even like kings in our culture. Like if we vote on the monarch, have we vote, if we vote, sorry, started speaking another language there. If we were to vote on the monarchy, you know, half the hands would go up, half would stay down. We don't know what to do with kings. We don't know how to respond to kingship. But Jesus is a king. So how do we respond to a king? Well, might I suggest that we listen, we obey, and we follow his example. When you have a king speak, that's not time to take a vote of what others think. When the king speaks, we listen. When the king speaks, we obey. But greater than that, Jesus came to be an example for us. An example in community. This is what Paul said about living in community under the kingship of Jesus. He said this, So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with harmonious purpose, and you will, you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. And then he tells us how to do it. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> be free from Pride-filled opinions. That's just a whole message right there by itself. And he says, why? For they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. This is what following Jesus means. This is what allowing him to be our king means. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us and let his mindset become your motivation. One historian was asked, what was the earliest signs of human community that, peop that, that, that he's ever found on the earth? Was it a tool? Was it a clay pot? Was it maybe iron or the evidence of metallurgy? And he actually said the earliest evidence of human civilization or human community was, the, was finding a, he a healed femur. And he said that's the first evidence because someone with a broken femur can't take care of themselves. Somebody, they needed a community to care for them. That's, in its simplest form, that's what community and love is. It's, it's caring for others where they can't care for themselves. Where they're unable to meet that need themselves. The second thing that Jesus said, and this is, again, a message in itself... It's love. It's, it's the consistent message. Yeah. 
that he said, John 13, so I give you a new commandment, love each other just as much as I have loved you. You know, regardless of your background, your religion, your faith, we all generally agree love is a good idea. It works better than hate. And where we fail, where we fail as people, as individuals, where we failed as the church, where we fail in our families, where we fail in our relationships, it's when we fail to love. My God, I got one minute and 16 seconds. How do we love in a time of isolation? You know, Mother Teresa, she said this. She said, we do not need to carry out grand things in order to show great love for God and for people. It's the intensity of love that we put into our gestures that makes them into something beautiful for God. Peace and war start within one's own home. And if we really want peace in the world, let us start by loving one another within our families. John Alexander He said this, he said, the main gift of the spirit that God has given to each person is the ability to to clean the toilet. He calls it a contemporary equivalent of washing one another's feet. We're clear on that for others, but not often not for ourselves. So in the body of Christ, it has to be an incantation for each of us. Our task is to clean the toilet, to wash the dishes, in short, be a good brother or sister. That's our mission. Loving is serving. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Loving is not doing some big grand event. Loving is serving. It's picking up the garbage on the ground because you want someone else's journey to be free from garbage. And then the last thing we do is we obey what he says. We obey what the king says. Do you know what the most common command in the Bible is? It's do not fear. Do not fear. We live in a world that motivates through fear, seeks to control through fear. Just go check your news feed. Don't do it now. Because fear creates all sorts of unhealthy reactions in us. See, living in fear is actually the opposite of the command living in love. John John said it. He said, perfect love casts out all fear. So we can only feed one in our life. We can either feed love or we can feed fear but we, we can't, they don't, they don't coexist. If you feed love, fear won't have a place. You know, we've talked so often, we've talked so often in the last weeks and last months about spiritual practices and, and we've talked about this one, one practice called curating media, curating the stories that we're hearing. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to not fearing we need to be very wise about the stories that we're listening to, about the stories we're hearing, what we're reading, what we're, what we're, what's, what's popping up on our news feeds, what's popping up in Facebook. There is a lot of fear. 
And it's allowing, instead of allowing fear, allow ourselves to get, allow ourselves to get filled instead with love, with hope. The resurrection, it's God's story that fear doesn't win. It's God's story that fear doesn't win. Fear and death have been defeated. It's our our story that our failure doesn't win. It's our story that our doubts and our denials, they don't win. That's what this Sunday is about. That God, that love, he wins. And that despite our, our fears, our failures, and our denials, his words to us are exactly the same as they were to Peter. You will fail me, but it's all right. I've prayed for you. And he's there. He's there cooking breakfast on the beach. Man, that's a great picture right now. And he's waiting for us to just come back to him. Let's stand to our feet. And you know, that's, I want to pray a prayer before we go here. And it's a prayer saying yes to Jesus. It's a prayer saying yes to a relationship with him, saying yes to his purpose. And if you're watching online or you're in this room and you have never said yes to him, you know, that first invitation, the invitation to Jesus isn't to, to get everything right in our lives. The invitation is to know him, to follow him and to learn from him. And I'm going to pray that. If you want to be included in, in that prayer, you can just pray with me as I pray. Let's pray, Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to follow you, your plan, and your purpose for my life. I want to know you. Would you work in my life? Displace fear. Displace my doubts. I want faith and your love to lead my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.